0: Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we come with humble hearts, knowing that even our most stellar efforts can never bring us one whit closer to you. We thank you that we are welcome in in your presence in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, this is that time of the year that um, has, well, it's the time of the year that That we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, uh, all of us have heard uh, more than we need how the world has taken over uh, that uh, seemingly special day. But Lord, there are some who worship you and they don't need a special day to do it. And there are men and women and children in this earth that are thankful every day that you have come Mm -hmm. in your son and that you are with us and that you will return to this earth. And so, Lord, as we wait and we look, Lord, for the signs, for you have not left us without instruction. We look for the signs that we feel very well may have to do with your coming. Father, we we consider that great work you did in 1948 to bring your nation back to their land and to begin to prepare them for that time when evil will break forth on the world. Father, may we not be like the legend of Nero, who simply just fiddled according to mythology or according to tradition, Uh, Nero fiddled while Rome burned. May we not be, may we not be taken unawares, Lord God. May we not be found uh, simply living according to our own understanding and our own imaginations. May we pray each day that Jesus Christ, be exalted and though we with all others comprehend that so-called silent night when you chose to bring Christ into the world. Lord, as we appreciate and in our minds envision uh, that scene. May we understand that what Jesus has done and is doing first at the very end of his time in the earth, and yet as he is seated even now at the right hand of the Father, Lord God, we look to no other. We bless your name, and we thank you, Lord God, for all of your goodnesses daily that you pour out on each of us. May we be truly thankful. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, as you well know, I generally don't go to the shepherds in the fields and uh, the three wise men. Um, but I'm just going to read a verse that is associated with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in the book of Luke, Luke and several verses. Uh, And just so you can get the context, this is in Luke, Luke chapter two, starting with verse 25, reads as follows, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit, into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. That would be circumcision on the eighth day. Then took he him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us, thou, thy servant, Depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him, that is Christ. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And for a sign... Which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so here early on in the second or the third gospel, we find Luke recording uh, the account of the circumcision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we especially are thrilled that as far as we know, Simeon uh, was at least one of the few, if not the only individual in the world at that time who had received a promise from the Lord that he would not die. Now, I think this was according to his own desire, Mm -hmm. that he would not die until he saw with his own eyes the Messiah, And after seeing him, the Messiah, he put forward in verse 34 and verse 35 a prophecy of the future. And he said, This, behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. That is a little bit difficult to understand what he meant. What I think it means is that there would be some in Israel, though few, who would recognize him as the Messiah. Others. And the majority would not recognize him. And they would go into eternity to their just reward, which is very negative. And that Christ coming to the world would be spoken against by so so many. If you recall, I know you do, as for the three and a half or so years that Christ actually carried on his public ministry, he was beset upon, particularly by religious leaders, uh, and called all sorts of terrible names he was he was referred to as a wine he was he was referred to as insane he was referred to as an emissary of satan himself And so Christ, being a man, had to absorb from the people that he came to save and those people whom he loved, he had to receive their disdain. (laughs) In fact, if I would go to Isaiah 53, which I may go to, the scripture says that the people in Israel esteemed Christ stricken in other words, the only way they esteemed him was when he was on that cross and they were glad to be rid of him. And that was what Christ had to face. Now, my point tonight is going to be very simple. I want us to think about all Of the adversity, the trouble, the heartache, the, uh, well, the disappointment that Christ had to face every day. I do not think that we often think of him in terms of being a man of sorrows. I also, and and of course there could be, you know, that which he suffered on the cross, unspeakable, but sorrow after sorrow for for him before that. And so I believe when we celebrate those two greatest holidays of Christendom, and I was just making sure tonight before I came on that I was right about what holiday means. It's an old English word for holy day. And so what Christianity has developed are holy days that were strictly spoken against by the apostle Paul and others. Now, If we, if you and I decide on December 25th to make that a special day for us to esteem and admire the fact that God gave us a savior, we are free to do that. But we are not free to join with the rest of the world and celebrate him according to a holy day that involves shadows and types of worship that come straight out of Babylon. That's true for Christmas and that is true for Easter. The longer I do what I do, the more strongly I feel about that. The story of Christ and his life in this earth, if we can identify with how he felt, because he was a man. Yes, he was a God-man. But he felt every pain and every temptation and every hurtful accusation towards himself just like any other man would. But he never responded even in his heart except out of the love of and mercy and understanding that he availed himself to by the Holy Spirit. And so the ministry of Christ and the end of his ministry was something that we should see, whereby we understand him as a man who suffered continually. And then we read in the scriptures that we are to be conformed to his image. And in one place, Paul says that we are called upon to fill up the sufferings that were left behind after his crucifixion. Because we are the body of Christ and he identifies with us as his body yet walking and ministering and demonstrating the glory of God in this earth. If we do not take seriously The difficulty that as a man he overcame on every hand, then we are not going to be able to identify with him in our own life. And so I would like for us to understand that Hebrews said that Jesus Christ was made perfect through his sufferings. It's right there, chapter four, that Jesus Christ was made perfect in his sufferings. And I'm gonna say to you, that that is the way of God for men in the earth. That is the way of God for the nation of Israel. Look how many years, 1,500 years, they, and and I realize, suffered many great things because of unbelief. And in the same way, you and I suffer many things because we have failed to believe. And it is the pleasure of our Father in heaven because we are saved by the work of the Son. It is our pleasure, or pardon me, Uh, yes, it is our pleasure that God should chasten us and, and it may involve great suffering and it may involve great heartache. You know, the idea came to his own and his own received him not. Each of us is probably going to look in our extended families and what we see is going to cause us to suffer even as Christ suffered and cried and wailed over Israel bemoaning the fact that he had called them to himself but in his words they would not and so, if I look at Israel, I see them—the only portion of their existence as a nation existed for possibly fifty or sixty years, where they were not under the uh, under attack by. Their enemies are, and that would be during the time of Solomon, that was the golden age of Israel, and it was so short, and no sooner had Solomon died until Israel was suffering a rebellion of the north against the south, just like the Civil War, that's what it was. And they never recovered. And so the few little bright spots that we read in their history tell us that the ways of God, and by the way, his working with them is not done. For we know that what is to come shortly is going to be an unspeakable period of trouble, which is which when it's spoken of in the old Testament, it is referred to in those words. It is the time of Jacob's trouble. And so God is not done with them yet. This is one of the differences between Israel and the church. God formed the church and, uh, To a great degree, he deals with the members of his body individually. Whereas with Israel, he he dealt with that body as a corporate entity. And so we can identify with a nation. Whereas in Christ, we are judged and seen and revealed before him as individuals. And if Christ continued, continued, and the Father to bring Israel into the depths of despair and finally destroying them completely as a nation in the earth in 70 AD, then we see the faithfulness of God to let 2,000 years go by, nearly. And he is going to put that nation like it was in the Valley of Dry Bones and he's going to bring it back into a living entity. He's going to put the bones together, the flesh on the bones, a heart, the skin, the whole thing, and Israel will live as a nation in the earth. We also must go through and endure. You see, it's one thing to to endure if your house burns down. It's another thing to endure if you wreck your vehicle. It's another thing to endure if you lose your job. But for some of us, we must endure for all that we can see, the losing of the ones we love the most. And I tell you that suffer, that Christ suffered in that way, He lost the ones that he came to save. It is my belief that it is that manner of affliction that so sorely tests us before God as to whether or not we will neither lose our faith, neither will we lose our hope, and neither will we put our sorrow before the glory that flows out of our heart towards our Heavenly Father and our Savior, and give praise and glory to the Triune God. And this is what we are called to do. The verse that struck me, particularly Was a very short verse in the book of Isaiah that I never really thought much about. It's in Isaiah chapter 48, starting with verse 9, and I can't cover all the context of it, but I can tell you that within just a few verses, we see something extremely important about the ways of God. And so verse 9, for my name's sake, so we see something about God that he does what he does, not just to help us out, But he does what he does because he deserves glory for what he is and what he accomplishes. From the making of the earth to the saving of the last man, God gets the glory. And he is in the Trinity, in the triune God is the only entity and in the universe that can rightfully Declare himself to be deserving of glory. For my name's sake, will I defer mine anger? He's talking about Israel. And for my praise, will I refrain for thee that I cut thee not off? In other words, I don't destroy you right now completely. And I'm sure he's looked at me like that. But we have an advocate with the Father. Amen. Yes, we do. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he stands there as the mercy seat, as the satisfaction for all our sins. And so in verse 10, he says again to Israel, behold... I have refined thee. Now I tell you that his mind towards you is no different. And I want you to consider what you know about Old Testament scriptures and see if God did not notice every act of faithlessness that he saw in that nation. And I tell you, he sees every act of faithlessness in us. Mm -hmm. And this is why we must keep short accounts with him. Mm -hmm. And this is why we must come boldly before the throne of grace. Because our high priest is there. But he has promised us that he will refine us even to the place where, in the end, we are going to be body, soul, and spirit, the righteousness of the Lord in our entire being, entire sanctification. That's what Paul was talking about when he said that he would pray for the church, that they would be entirely sanctified. That means set apart, holy, entirely holy, spirit, soul, and body. And this is the perfect work of Jesus Christ. And we will not know until he is done with each individual. Whether or not. They continued. In their confession of faith. Mm -hmm. And that I know God knows about. And I leave that with him. And so I have refined thee, but not as silver. Now, silver is not that hard to refine. Silver has a, a very low melting point compared, for example, silver and gold both do, compared to other metals. Uh, iron, for example, has a melting point of 2500 degrees where silver is up there probably below a thousand fahrenheit and the the refinement that god puts us through is not to be compared with that of silver that's what this passage is saying you don't have to just throw it in a pot and put it over the fire, and voila, you've got all the impurities separated, and uh, what's left in the bottom is pure silver. Not, not that easy. Well, how does he refine us? I have chosen thee, verse ten, in the furnace of affliction Mm -hmm. that really struck me Mm -hmm. i have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction for mine own sake even for mine own sake says it twice will i do it we are yet an unfinished work of God. For how should my name be polluted? And that would be polluted in those who were disobedient and did not hold him in his proper place. For how should my name be polluted And I will not give my glory to another. It's his. And that's where it's going to be for eternity. When glory is talked about in eternity, the Lord is going to look at that celestial city, which comes down out of heaven, that new Jerusalem, which reflects the glory of Jesus Christ and will be inhabited by us who also reflect that same glory. Mm -hmm. And he will point to that and he say, and then say, see the glorious work that I have done. Look at it. For he will not give his glory to another. Hearken unto me, O Jacob, and Israel, my called. I am he, the first. I also am the last. And so that's